Good to see all of you today. Uh, what a blessing it is to be here. Please turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. While you're turning, have you ever had somebody give you conflicting instructions? Maybe it's directions to find somewhere when you're driving. You're going along and you stop in one place and they tell you to go three blocks down and turn right. And then you can't find it, so you stop there and they say, oh yeah, it's back kind of, it's back four blocks the other way from where you came from. Isn't that fun? Have you ever had conflicting instructions at work? That ever happened to anybody? Yep. All the time, right? So you kind of do with what's in front of you. You know, the interesting thing is, what if that were to happen with God? Would that shape your faith at all? If it seemed like God said one thing and then he said another thing? You know, it, today's passage is really an interesting, is an interesting study on that particular item, really. Uh, we're going to be looking at Abraham, faith for the unthinkable. And we're going to be in verse verses 17 through verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 11. Which says, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people up, or people from the dead, even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for Abraham. We thank you for his faith and, and face of the unthinkable. And so we pray that this morning that we will follow in the same footsteps that he did. That we will trust you in whatever you tell us. And that we'll follow after you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And there's nothing we'll hold back. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to see this morning when we talk about Abraham, we're going to see his test, his conflict, and his faith. And so Abraham is given this test. You know, we often hear, does God test people? We say, no, he doesn't tempt people. But here... He's given a test. Genesis, this, the story of this happening is found in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 19. I want to read that to you, how this, how this plays out. It came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Which is interesting because that's kind of how he told him to leave and go, right? Go into a land of... So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son... And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place in which God told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there. We will worship and return to you. So we see Abraham's faith early. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And the two of them walked together. Isaac spoke to Abraham. So Isaac's talking. He's not a baby. Isaac spoke to Abraham. His father said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Well, son, I got something to explain to you. 
Watch this. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place which God had told them, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord, you know, this must have affected Isaac a little bit too, right? The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Hey, you, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Anybody know what that is in Jehovah? Jehovah Jireh. Right? As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seeds as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies and your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. And so we go back to this time. What what did God ask Abraham to do? He asked him to go sacrifice his son, right? That's all Abraham knew from God. God had told him, go sacrifice your son. Was God ever going to let him sacrifice his son? So God asked him to do something that he was never going to do. Because he wanted to see where his heart was. And so sometimes when we hear from God, it is a test. It's a test to see if we're all in or if we're withholding. It may not be something that God actually expects us to follow through on. Now, we can't plan for that. We can't hope that, you know, God's going to let me out of this at the end. We've got to go. We've got to do it. I'll, I'll give you a personal example. When I was first called into ministry, my original thought was, or what I thought I heard, was missions. That I was called into missions. And that's what I surrendered to. I surrendered to the Lord to do that. But what I realized later is, He wanted all of me. And to do missions, He's got to have all of me. He didn't want me to hold back. He didn't want me to say, you know, play it safe. And I'm going to just kind of be here and I'll be able to, to live in American culture. And, but he wanted all of my heart. Because that was that's part of our the ministry of who we are. It's, it's all or nothing. And so what I surrendered to was not God's plan for me. But his plan was for me to surrender. Does that make sense? And so God's plan for... Abraham was for him to withhold nothing. And so he gave him a task to where he would have to give up the greatest thing, even where the promises of God had laid, and trust God for the results. And so the question is, does God test people? Well, <laughs> Abraham was tested by God. He was tested here in this moment. The test was to see if he would offer his son. Would he trust God in obedience after God had already told him that his promises were with him? 
He had told him that this was the son. This was the promised son. Who the blessings are all going to flow through him. Now he's asking him to sacrifice him. You know, Abraham here, we don't see any record in scripture of hesitation, do we? Even in Hebrews or in Genesis, he just went and did it. He just went and did it. You know, I think we, and I can't, well, maybe I can't speak for you. There's tough moments of hesitation a little bit sometimes when I hear from God. It's like, what? You want what? Or I want to figure it out. Or I want to have all the answers. I want to have all... He didn't even know where he was going to sacrifice his own son. He didn't even know that. He just knew that God had told him to go. That's just like... It's interesting to see how God works with Abraham and he works the same way, right? And which tells us that he works with us differently, each one of us. But we kind of get to know how he works with us over time. But there are things. So how did Abraham just come to that point of obedience? That that instantaneous yes obedience. Well, there's things that lead to obedience. I think it begins with confidence in your hearing. Confidence in hearing God leads to our obedience in Christ. If I'm not sure that it's God speaking to me, I'm going to be apprehensive to say, yeah, I'll go do that. You know, was that really God? Now, if anybody had a reason to ask that, Abraham did. (laughs) Because it seems to be polar opposites, right? Confusing directions, confusing instructions. But we have to have confidence in our hearing. And a lot of us don't have that. A lot of us really wonder, was that God? That I heard. Was that God that I heard? So it begins with confidence. It also moves uh, next into confidence in God's plans for you. In other words, how do you see Him? You know, you may come to the point where you say, I know that was God. But now, am I just going to be hurt? Am I gonna, is he going to do something to uh, punish me? Is God out to get me? Is he sitting in heaven with a big stick waiting to pop me when I get out of line? There's people view God like that. Like he's just waiting to correct us. As parents, do you enjoy correcting your children? Well, sometimes a little. (laughs) We would rather have a loving relationship with them, right? And engaging them and, and sharing and pouring into them and giving everything we have to them. And so confidence in your hearing, confidence in God's plans for you, willingness to accept any set of results from your obedience. If my obedience causes negative things in my life, am I okay with that? Because here's, you know, (laughs) Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. And not a lot of us want to sign up to be hated, do we? But he said, if they despise you, blessed are you if you're despised for my name's sake. But we don't want to deal with some of that. So a lot of us don't even tell people that we're Christians. Or that we know Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so we keep it. We're, <laughs> we're more covert than the CIA sometimes. We have operatives everywhere and nobody knows who they are. The problem is we're not accomplishing the mission. And so confidence in your hearing, knowing that you've heard him, confidence in his plans, knowing that he has the best for you, willing to accept whatever the results are, and acting on his direction. We have to, you got to pull the trigger, folks. 
you're going to pull the trigger. I'm going to, let me pick the low-hanging fruit here this morning. How many of you know that we're supposed to be sharing Christ with the lost? Okay. Put your hands down. How many of you have done that in the last 12 months? How many of you done it last week? You see what I'm saying? How many of you know that we're supposed to be looking and expecting for his return? How many of you have ever looked up in the sky and looked to the east and wondered if Jesus was about to pop over? We know what it says. You really don't need more information. We just need to pull the trigger on the stuff we do know. How many of you know we're supposed to encourage each other into love and good works? That's our job. That's why we assemble. That's why he tells us in Hebrews not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together because we need each other to encourage each other in the love and good works. I need you in my life. And I want you in my life. And that's part of it. And so Abraham was here and he was tested. He was now offering up his only begotten son. And you might be sitting there and going, was Isaac his firstborn son? No. Ishmael was. You might be, it says his only begotten son. So what is the scriptures talking about? Seems contradictory again. This is filled with contradictions, it seems like. Ishmael was his son via Hagar, the handmaid. But the line of Christ was not coming through Ishmael, it was coming through Isaac. And so that of the marriage union, his only begotten son, was Isaac. And so offering Isaac was absolutely a test. But Abraham had a conflict. We've been dancing around it. He had a conflict. The instruction he had from God created a conflict with this. The, with the promise and the instruction creates a conflict here. He's promised the seed and the blessing upon Isaac. And then he's being told to sacrifice him. God told Abraham and Isaac, your descendants shall be called. So he's talking about Isaac's descendants. So for Isaac to have descendants, he has to be alive, right? <clears throat> That's kind of simple math. And he tells him, now God he tells, him, he tells Abraham to sacrifice his promised descendant. That's confusing. Why was God... Let me ask you this. Do you believe God was up to something that was true to himself and not deceptive with Abraham? Yes, he was. But so sometimes when God works with us, it can appear confusing to us, but we have to trust that God is working in perfection with knowledge we don't have. Does God know more than you? Anybody? Yes? And so if he knows more and sees more and is in control, it doesn't have to make sense. We just have to do whatever he tells us. Can you imagine an army? Where's all my military folks? I know they're in here. Can you imagine an army that the troops did exactly what the general said when he said, when he said it? Boom, it happened. There was somebody running that. And then can you imagine an army who sat around all of them questioning the general? Well, that doesn't make sense. What if we did this and they had all these other plans and they never did anything? Can you imagine how chaotic that would be? And so the mission, the one who sees the big picture, the whole mission, never gets to accomplish it because everybody's fighting against him, even his own people. 
And I'm not so sure that's not what's going on in Christianity today, and that's why we're losing ground. Because people are hunting for something genuine. They're hunting for something where Jesus Christ is interacting with them and changing their lives every day. Where when they open the scripture, it becomes alive to them. They're out there hurting without answers, grasping at anything that can come along. And we who have the answers are sitting around wondering, well, why would God ask me to do that? Well, I can't forgive them. You don't know what they did to me. I want, you know, here's the thing. I'm going to tell you, this is what helps me with forgiveness. I don't know if any of y'all have this problem, so this might be just for me. That's okay. When I think about what people have done to me in this life, I compare it to what they did to Jesus and how he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And I think, how can you do that? And nothing that's been done to me measures up to that. And the problem really is I was one of the ones committed to it. Didn't he die for me? Didn't he? And so he's in conflict here. Under normal circumstances, that would be true, but these weren't normal circumstances due to Abraham's faith. He didn't see a conflict. He didn't see the conflict. You see, at the moment of crisis, instead of doubting God, we have to walk in faith. We have to walk in faith. Instead of doubting, well, I don't know that you got, God, I don't know if you can deliver on that. Have you ever had God tell you one to do something and you're like, man, I don't know if you can do that. I want you to pray about something and you're like, well, I don't know. I don't want to pray because I don't want to be disappointed when you don't come through. You ever done that? <laughs> I think I'm the only one. Maybe I'm the worst one in the room. That's okay. Wouldn't be the first time. And so we move from this conflict to Abraham's faith. Abraham had to somehow resolve the conflict so that he could obey God, right? Abraham's solution was that he believed God is able to raise people from the dead. That would resolve the conflict, wouldn't it? You know, that's the only way that God's promise and the instructions can both happen. Well, I began to study that. How did Abraham come to that understanding? Right? Doesn't that make sense? Wouldn't that be something worth studying? How did Abraham come to the idea that God can raise people from the dead? And I began studying scripture, and you know what I found? There is zero instance of God raising somebody from the dead before this moment in, in world history. That created a problem for me. Because <laughs> what did he base his faith on? What did he base his faith on? He had no evidence. Of anything. And then I realized that was the greatest strength. It took me a little bit as I was working my way through this. The only answer is this is by faith he came to, an, to understand it. God showed him. That's the only thing it can be. If he has no occurrences, no events, no anything in front of him that said God could do that, then God had to have showed him. See, we know this, that spiritual things are spiritually understood. Have you ever talked with somebody and, and it's so obvious to you and they're not getting it or they're not understanding or seeing or uh, putting their faith or God's working, you see him working, but they're not seeing it as you're sharing Christ? Spiritual things are spiritually understood and the understanding of that can only be given by the Holy Spirit. 
We cannot convince somebody to be saved. We cannot explain somebody into heaven. We can't pull back the veil and let people see. We can share and we're commanded to share the truth about Jesus Christ. But the results of that and the work in their life is solely dependent upon the Holy Spirit in them. You know, we were, yeah, I'm sure you've met or know people that they have notches. I've heard it as notches in your headboard or notches in your belt where pe people you've prayed with that have received Christ. Let me tell you something. Anybody that prayed and received Christ because of me is lost. If they pray and receive Christ because the Holy Spirit revealed himself to them, that's between them and God, right? They are saved. I don't get any notches. I'm not working, you know, we think of spiritual we think of spiritual maturity as a ladder. I think it's I, if it is a ladder, you descend down it to get mature. You don't go up it. Because the less of me that can get in the way of God's hand, the better. But boy, we get upset too about ourselves. Well, what about me? And that's what's sold today. What about me? What's it, you know, the cross was about me. <laughs> this is about him. And so Abraham had this, this amazing faith. See, and then we're given this little thing, and I don't want to pass by it. For those of my scholars in here, pay attention. We're left with the last phrase of verse 19 where it says, from which he also received him back as a type. That's exciting, isn't it? You're like, what in the world is he talking about? Hey, do y'all know about types and antitypes? Have you ever heard of that before? Anybody? Okay. There's a type, which is a precursor, a revealing or a showing to the antitype, which is the actual. And so we receive him back as a type. It makes you beg the question, what's the antitype? The only way we can receive him back as a type is if he's a picture of the antitype. And so Abraham essentially was a picture of the father who gave his only begotten son. And we receive Isaac back as the only begotten son who was laid out there and is alive today. As a picture of Christ. And so we receive him back as a type. It's a picture. It tells us in scripture that Abraham saw my day and was glad. So he saw it, not with his eyes, but with the eyes of his spirit, with the eyes of his heart. That's found in John 8, verse 56. So here we have a picture of the father and his son, the father in Jesus Christ. See, by faith, Abraham saw. See, we can't see, we want to see visibly something before we walk in faith. And Abraham, time after time, it's funny that he shows up in this list twice. Is told, go and I'll show you. Go and I'll show you. Have you ever been frustrated with God that he doesn't show you more? <laughs> You know, it'd be nice if we just lay this whole thing out for us. We know exactly what it is. We know exactly what's happening. And so, what's God up to? <laughs> well, how am I supposed to walk in faith when I can't see? <laughs> That's the point of faith, ladies and gentlemen. It's trusting God because of who He is. And that's what happened with Abraham. And he didn't have the luxury of looking back like we do. 
I think even if we walked in the same ways as Abraham did, I'm not sure that his faith wasn't greater. It was just the promises to come. We at least have evidence to look back to. I think faith should be easier for us than it was for him. And so, what do we learn from Abraham and Isaac here? You see, we need to actively listen for God's voice. We need to actively listen for God's voice. And tell him, I'm listening, I'm here, talk, speak to me. Now, the things he may want to, when you're in a conversation with somebody, do you control the subjects they bring up? Only if you're married. <laughs> but we don't control the subject someone else brings up. They just bring it up, right? We have a tendency to kind of listen for the voice of God for the things we want to hear. Instead of what God wants us to really talk to us about. Now, some of us know what that is. It might be an area of conviction. Things that he's working on your life about. And so we're, we're actively ignoring the voice of God. We would never do that. You've never done that. <laughs> uh, I have. I don't want to hear about that. <laughs> How many of you have ever been convicted and went ahead and did it anyway? Okay, so you've done. That makes me feel better. I'm not alone anymore. We're told in John 10, 27, that his sheep know his voice. Why would God tell us that? To make us feel bad? <laughs> Why would his sheep know his voice? Well, think about this for just a moment. If the sheep know the voice of the shepherd, that means the shepherd's talking, right? And he's talking to the sheep enough times for them to recognize the voice. There's a recognition. There's something that happens where we know it's him. And if you're sitting there, let me help you. If you're sitting there, you go, man, I don't ever hear that. I don't ever hear the voice of God. I would, I want, I want to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to remove the things that keep you from hearing the voice of God right now. Number one, are you saved? Not do you believe in God. Believing in God does not save you. Do you know that? Putting your faith, transferring your trust into Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's where you're saved. So you may not be his child. If you are his child, are you an obedient or disobedient child? What has God been working on in your life and are you receptive? Well, you don't understand in my line of work. You think God doesn't understand your line of work? Well, you don't understand some of these people that he's asking me. They're just going to gloat if I go to them and try and heal them. Let them gloat. Let them gloat. That's a reflection of them. What you choose to do is a reflection of you. And it may be the thing that they gloat on the outside, but they're pricked to the heart on the inside. We know that was true in Paul's life, right? Because on his road to Damascus, he said, Jesus told him, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. He had been pricking at his heart. And things had been happening that he didn't show that were going on inside of him, didn't change his behavior, but were part of the plan of God. And what if those 
like Stephen had not stood for Christ when he was being stoned? What if they had not taken their stands? Where would we be today? See, the circumstances should not direct our obedience. God should. No matter what. Listen. Sometimes we ask ourselves, why is he so quiet with me? And I've sat in the pew and I thought, these are things I thought sitting out there. I used to hate it when pastors would talk about this. Because it seemed like God didn't talk to me. I'm going to tell you when God started talking to me. When I was willing to do whatever he said. He began to speak to me. He waited for me. Receptivity. You have to be receptive. Two. God's direction doesn't have to make sense for us to obey. Sometimes it's going to make sense. Sometimes it won't make sense. I would imagine that didn't make a lot of sense. (laughs) You want me to do what? (laughs) What? That couldn't have been God because that's the promised son. Start to reason away. We think, we're too busy thinking about the things of God that we never do the things of God as He leads us. We've got to figure it all out. It's got to be all perfect. Listen, and we know this world is an imperfect world. And the only reason it's imperfect is because we invited imperfection into it. Not because that's the way God made it. When He made it, it was perfect. And we blew it. I was there. I was in Adam. Doing it with him. When it happened. I was there. All the the peoples of the world came from Adam and Eve. And so, it doesn't have to make sense. But we have to decide to obey God whether we understand it. Or are even at risk personally. If you knew it was God, are you willing to say, I'm ready to die for you? You know, we kind of avoid death at all costs, don't we? Right? We don't, well, except for yesterday. (laughs) Yesterday was kind of close. (laughs) Those of you who weren't able to be here yesterday, I was on the roof. And the steeple, my tippy toes, bending over, reaching, yeah. That was fun. Ish. <laughs> it's a long story. It needed some maintenance. But we kind of avoid death. We want we don't we don't run toward it. Why would we fear death or avoid the greatest moment of our life when we go to go be with invisible? I mean I know I I, I We have family and friends here. We have people we love. You know, this is what we know. But are we willing to give this up? Jesus said, no greater love has one man for another than he lays down his life. So my question is, if we're not willing to do that, our love is not the greatest love for him, right? (laughs) By definition, by scriptural. I know that stinks. But it's true. And we make decisions based upon how it affects us, whether we're going to walk for Him. Well, that's really an inconvenient time for me. Or that, you know, if I do that, these things could happen. Or that's really, you know, why would I want to be in those circumstances? Everything's okay right now. We want to keep the status quo. And the status quo right now is is a lost world dying on its way to hell. And we can sit around in the status quo or we can go out there and take a stand for Christ 
and love people and put some effort forward in our own life based upon the leading of the Holy Spirit and let God change people's lives. Amen. So we're either going to show up on Sunday and warm a chair and think we've done our thing for God when he's called us to more. God's direction does not have to make sense for us to obey. We have to obey because it's God's voice. Not because our peanut brains can understand it. Three. Your obedience will touch and affect more than you. Well, you know, I'm sure it's for that person. How many of you have ever overheard a spiritual conversation going on? And started having interacting with the conversation yourself inside. Anybody ever do that other than me? Spiritual eavesdropping? No, I'm just where the, you know something's happening and you're you're responding to it. Don't you think other people do that too? So God might be leading you to speak something that somebody's been witnessing to somebody about here, and they may not respond at all. But this person hears something that they just heard from somebody else and they go, that's so weird. So-and-so just shared that same thing with me. Maybe there is a God. <clears throat> Don't limit God. We, limit, we put him in this little tiny sliver of space where he works and we think that, you know, the whole world has gone to hell in a handbasket. Sometimes it looks that way. But... He has not given up on them yet. You know how I know? He hasn't come for us yet. And even when he comes for us, he still hasn't given up because they can still be saved during the tribulation period. And then at the end of that, there's going to be a separation. We're going to go into a millennium. We know at the end of the millennium, Satan's going to be loose for a little while. And so there's people who are going to be lost because God still wants them to be saved. And everybody wants to talk about Revelation being a book of judgment. That's kind of how we see it, right? You know, when he starts out, I'll give you a simple one. He burns up a third of the grass, one of the first things. That's terrible. A third of the grass is gone. But two-thirds is still here. That's God's grace. He could have burned all of that. He constantly, he's giving them peaks of his judgment and showing them grace at the same time, hoping to lead them into salvation. The book of Revelation is a story of what? It, what does it say about itself? It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you read Revelation, understand that it's revealing Christ. And so our decisions affect more than us. If... <laughs> There's a re if God's leading you, there's a reason whether you get it or not. And it's usually multiple reasons. If you've been chosen for a task, listen, folks, it's an honor. Embrace it. Well, I'm just mowing the grass. Can you imagine what it would be like to pull up here with the grass not mowed? Remember when the mower was having trouble? <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. If God is leading you to mow grass, please see Terry. She will sign you up. I'm sorry, obey God and then go see Terry. She'll sign you up. They could use some help. They need two more people. Whatever it is, you think, well, I can't do that much. But you know, I know people that drive by churches and go, that place is taken care of. Those people care. Right? When you go past a home that's unkept or unpainted, you see stuff falling, you think the people don't care, right? That is our witness to the world, to the testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in us. So Terry, prepare yourself for everybody to sign up. 
We all should be mowing grass. We all should be addressing these things. We had a good turnout yesterday. We didn't finish everything, hence the plastic. But Lord willing, the plastic won't be there anymore. Did anybody notice the paint on the way in? Hey! <laughs> yeah. There's people down here painting and doing different things. Because we have a call to go into this community, folks. And we're going to do it. I'm going to do it. Because God has placed us and planted us right in the center of everything that's happening. Dwayne was reminding me about that this morning. And you know what? I ain't going to fold. I don't care if the, the enemies of this whole world come against me. I have the one that's overcome the world on my side. And I'm going to walk with him. And so embrace it. If you've been chosen for a task, it's an honor. Embrace it. But he says, you can't do that. You can't. You know, that's been going on for decades. There's people over the years that have considered many things impossible. You know, and I went back and found quotes of things where people said, you can never do that. You know, I love this stuff. I love it when people make absolute comments and then just kind of falls apart. King George II, for all my historians out there, said in 1773 that the American colonies had little stomach for revolution. That didn't pan out. An official for the White Star Line, speaking of the firm's newly built flagship, the Titanic, launched in 1912, declared the ship was unsinkable. You know what they actually said? They said God himself couldn't sink this ship. God did. <laughs> Have some ice. God himself can't sink this ship. God himself can crack this half, this earth in two halves. We can still travel around and have all the weather patterns and everything be fine. He can turn us inside out and we can live in thousand degree temperatures if that's what he wanted. He's God. We forget that when he speaks. That's the one who wants to speak to us. In 1939, the New York Times said the problem of TV was that people had to glue their eyes to a screen and that the average American wouldn't have time for it. I wonder how much time we spend watching TV every week. We would all say too much, right? You remember when you were kids and you went outside to play? You didn't play in a four by six inch screen. We played with balls and we got hit in the eye and we fell and we got cut and we got twisted up in the rope and you know, we laid up in the window in the back seat and we're still here to tell, tell the world about it. When mom and dad were driving. How do we ever survive? It's a miracle. See, God's alive. An English astronomy professor said in the early 19th century that air travel at high speed would be impossible because passengers would suffocate. Impossible. More people travel by air today than they ever have. And it's safer than riding in your car. So I want you to know I appreciate all of you risking your lives to be here this morning. Impossible. Things that appear impossible today are not impossible if God is in it. And so if God speaks to you about something, just say yes. Just do it. Just obey Him. Many things man has overcome that they thought was impossible. But you know, with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing.
Nothing. That person you think can't be reached can be reached. Nothing. I had a friend who was a partier. He went everywhere. He, he, if you were to meet him today, you wouldn't know he was that guy. He said when God spoke to him about salvation, it was undeniable to him what the decision was. God made it so apparent that this was the right thing. How could he say no? But he still had to make the choice. And we do too. When God speaks to us, even though it's undeniable because we know his voice, we still have to make the decision to say yes. And in the days ahead, as we start to draw together and start to tackle the things that God lays before us, I'm glad that God is our line. In my football analogy, we're getting ready. We've got like two months. He's our line. He does all our blocking for us. He opens holes for us that allow us to go through. Sometimes we get tackled but that's because he wants the ball right there. And so things rarely pan out the way we think, right, in life. It's kind of nice when you have those moments of peace for a while, but then it seems like trouble comes. I want you to know something. God has not changed whether you're facing a time of peace or a time of trouble, a time of great pain and anguish or a time of great joy. God has not changed He loves you just as much today as he did when everything was fine. And I want you to know something. There is hope in Christ. And as you walk with him, and if you put your complete faith and trust and yourself rest in his hand, even though bad things happen, he has not changed. And I know that's hard to remember when the bad things are going on. I do, because I've been there, and I've not remembered I understand the emotion and the pain and the hurt and the abandonment feelings. But they're not truth. I even knew that in the midst of it. But the emotion is very real. And so we don't discount the emotion. But we better never discount the Lord. And so whatever he said, I encourage you to do it. He's calling us out. I've been hearing it from several of you for years. And it's time. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close your eyes. <laughs>